us today as we worship together and just invite God's spirit to do what he wants to in our midst. I thought it'd be really good to just center ourselves on a scripture this morning and thinking uh, from scripture, there are these people called the prophets. They're more present in the Old Testament writings, but what we know about the prophets is they were people that God used to just share insights, both about who he was, who, what his plans were, all of that kind of stuff. And in the history of the Bible, the, the history of the people of Israel, there was a time where God, yes, delivered them from the land of Egypt. He gave them all of these rules and guidelines to follow ways that they could honor him through their living. But as time went on, the people of Israel just drifted away from the Lord. And so prophets were sent to speak to the people of Israel, to realign them with God's purposes and God's plan. And uh, this prophet named Isaiah talks about a lot of different things. He talks about how God wants to bring his people back to him, but how they're going to have to endure judgment and difficulty and hardship walking through wildernesses, so to speak. But God leaves them with the promise that I'm sending somebody, I'm sending my son, I'm sending a Messiah, one who will redeem and transform and bring life and resurrection to you. In Isaiah 43, uh, God says, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. I think there's truth for us in that today, that even in our places of brokenness, places where we feel distant or far from God, that God still reaches us with his love and his message of hope, that through the power of Christ Jesus, he wants to bring streams and rivers to our dry places. He wants to bring resurrection life to us. And with that in mind, I want to invite you, if you're able to stand, to join us as we worship together this morning and just invite God's spirit to meet us in this place. Let's worship together, church. Streams in the wasteland, 
You're making a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland, and I believe your word is true. So I your presence to just move as you want to in this place today as we continue our worship. Oh, you mercy. 
just like the prodigal. Lord, when we turn to you, you come running towards us. We're grateful for that truth today, God. You picked me up and you turned me around. You placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master. I thank the Savior. Because you heal my heart. You change my name. Forever free, I am not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. Come on, if you believe that, join us in singing this. Oh, you picked me up and you turned me around. You placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior. Because you heal my heart and you change my name forever free, I am not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank
for us to be called children of God, amen? amen. As we take a moment to go before God in prayer, I just want to invite you, if you're coming in this morning carrying a prayer need, whether it's for you or for someone that you know, I wanna invite you in this moment just to take a seat. 
Know that we have people around you that would love to come alongside you if you're comfortable to be able to place hands on you to pray with you and to pray for you. So I invite you to do that now as we bow our heads and go before our Heavenly Father in prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be gathered together as the body of Christ this morning. We are thankful for each and every person that is here and pray, Lord, that as you are walking with us through a variety of different needs, whether they are celebrations and encouragements or whether there are difficult things going on in our lives or in the lives of those we care about, whether those prayer requests are spoken or unspoken, Lord, we know that you're moving in and through each and every one of them. And we pray for a tangible sense of your Holy Spirit and your presence over each and every one of these needs. And Lord, we just think of the church that is outside the four walls of this building right here and the churches that are out in our communities. We think of Robinson Baptist this morning, Lord, we pray that you will just uplift their staff and their pastors, that you will uplift their congregation, that they would just be able to tangibly sense your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would continue to uplift them, encourage them and challenge them as they are doing your work out in the community and as they are reaching people for Christ. And Lord, we think of the church globally and we think specifically this morning of Noah and Kennedy Reynolds as they're in Thailand um, teaching English. And God, we just pray that Kennedy would be able to finish strong in her master's program and that you would just encourage and uplift their program as they're looking for more teachers and as they're looking for interns. Or would you just place the right people in their path? Would you just allow the right people to come alongside them to support that ministry so they can continue to do the work that you are calling them to do? God, over everything we do this morning, whether it's our worship, our time in the word, our time in communion, we pray that everything, Lord, would just be guided by you. And we just pray that we would all use that as an opportunity just to come together, Lord, and be reminded of the reason that we are gathered together, Lord, is, is for you. And so we pray that in all things, we would continue to love you and to love others as you've called us to. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat. I want to welcome you guys to All Shores Wesleyan Church this morning, both our returning members, those of you who are joining us online, and those of us who are new. If you're new here, I hope you were greeted warmly as you came in. I want to point your attention towards both the QR code on the backs of your seats, as well as the QR code that is up on the screen. That will lead you to our connection card. We also have some physical ones in the seat back in front of you. If you are new here and you are looking to get connected, you're looking to find out more about All Shores or you have a prayer need or anything like that, please go ahead and fill out one of these connection cards. One of our pastoral staff would love to be in touch with you just to see how we can further get to know you um, and help guide you into the family. And if you are a returning member here, but you have a prayer request or you're looking to get further plugged in, know that that connection card is for you as well. We would love to be able to circle back with you and just to walk alongside you in this process. I wanna take a moment just to reflect back on this past Friday night as we had an opportunity to celebrate with one of our worship nights here. And can I just say, as someone who was there, what a blessing it was just to be able to gather together with our church family from across all three of our campuses and just to be united under one name, under one voice, praising and singing worship to God. So I just want to thank Pastor Carter and his team for the spirit with, with 
with which they led. And just, it was such a tangible move of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful that we have a church that values these opportunities. And so we hope that you'll continue to join us for those opportunities in the future as we just come together and center ourselves on God in these seasons of life. Last thing I wanna call our attention to is this is the point in our service and in our worship where we give our tithes and offerings. If you're somebody who prefers to give physically, you know that we have black boxes right by the exits, out to the back if you prefer to give in that way. Or if you prefer to give digitally, you'll see on the screen behind me, there are ways that you can do so. Church, we just wanna thank you for your continuous generosity in giving and the ways that you're entrusting us to steward those finances well as we seek as we seek to reach the kingdom here in Spring Lake and in our communities across um, our campuses and globally. If you're new here, know that there is certainly no obligation to give. We hope that this service is gift enough for you. But if you're a regular attender, we just, again, thank you so much for your generosity and just pray that you'll continue to entrust us with those things. And so now as we turn to the rest of our service, I invite you to turn your attentions to the screen for everything that we have coming up here. Hey church, this weekend is step two of the journey. If you're new to our church, the journey is the best next step from one of our services to getting plugged in, getting to know more about All Shores, and ultimately finding your place somewhere in our church. Step two happens the second Sunday of every month at our Spring Lake campus. And as we say, step two is all about you. It's all about your personality. It's all about your spiritual gifts. It's all about how God has designed you. That We want to help you discover that. And it happens during our 11 o'clock service. So if you've got little kids, you can check them into kids ministry just like you would for service. It takes place in our upstairs conference room, which if you don't know where that is, no worries. Just ask our team. We would love to help you find your way there. Well, I want to welcome those joining us online, all of you here in our Spring Lake campus. I'll invite you to pray in just a few minutes. We're in the second week of a series on a letter called Philemon. Uh, before I do that, I just want to take a, a few spaces to give some honor. And I'll just ask you here in the campus, or if you're watching online, you can just write it in the chat. But if, if any of you have either, it's Veterans Day yesterday, if any of you have served in the military or have a family member of has, I just ask you to stand just for a moment for us. And we simply want to give thanks and honor to that. And I'll, I actually will pray for you in just a minute, too, with all that's going on around the world as well. Um, we also, we always want to give honor in the midst of our church itself and our community. And if you're part of our, uh, our general communications, uh, we let people know this week, it's kind of a bittersweet thing. It's bitter in that uh, we've decided we need to stop uh, services right now out in Coopersville. We've had a significant decline in the last year and a half and even with a staff the ho that we had brought out there, they've moved on. And so it's been a difficult decision. That's the bitter side of it. We started the campus 12 years ago and continue to ask how are we going to reach this community. But there's a sweetness in what we started 12 years ago is because God was moving among us 
And we reached a whole bunch of people out there. We saw a lot of transformation. We've seen people even move into vocational ministry, people just living out faith differently. And so we honor that as well and continue to pray because even if we don't currently have services going out there, that's an area we are part of our communities. And we've actually had a lot of people from Coopersville coming back to this campus. So I just didn't want to miss. We want to honor that. Our last service will be at the end of the month here, but be praying for us with that too. Uh, I want to ask you now just to pray in the quiet. We always believe it's God's spirit who leads, not that I will convince you or persuade you. It's not information, it's revelation. So you pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us in the things I mentioned. Lord, I thank you that you are present in the detail of our own lives, in our community, and in the world around us. And so even as we honor those who serve and have served, God, we pray your blessing and your protection. We are reminded of so many wars and just conflicts around the world. So we cry out for peace. We cry out for healing. We pray for calm and just a restoration in these different nations and the messes that they are. And pray your protection over us as well. And Lord, we lift up our, our campus, our, our community of Coopersville, and simply pray in the grieving you'd comfort, and also if there'd be honor and dignity and celebration for what we can, and you'd continue to lead. And now, Lord, I pray as we open the scriptures that you'd speak. Lord, anything I have to say that's not from you, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I ask that anything that's from you, your spirit would breathe life into us, and you'd speak to us. And speak either through the scriptures or speak directly, but you lead now. And I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. It is true. So we're in the second week of a three-week series through this letter called Philemon. I'm not going to go all the way back through the background I gave last week. You can go back and watch last week's. I'd encourage it, but I'm going to give you at least a little bit of a context and a summary because we're in the next part of the letter. The letter is literally only a page long and we broke it up into smaller sections. But last week, if you were to kind of summarize where we began, and let me say this, first of all, Paul, who's this huge part of how the church ends up growing, God uses him to kind of build the church throughout all of this Asia Minor, change the context of the history and all these people he connected to. This is a letter he writes to a guy named Philemon. It's a letter to an individual but it's also a letter to the whole church, which means it was given to him, but to be read in the whole church. In case you care, the church was in Colossae, and Paul also sends a letter to the whole church called Colossians. But as he writes to Philemon, it's to, for him to be hearing it, but it's for everyone to be. It's individually, but it's a metaphor or an image for the whole church. So let me just kind of clarify where we were last week, where we began. We began with this word koinonia, which is the word that is translated partner in the actual text. So he, he basically, Paul's saying to Philemon, you're a partner in this thing. You are a partner in the family of the church. You are one that's carrying this with us. It means multiple things. Partner, it means you participate in it, you're active in it. It has a sense of fellowship, of community. And basically what he's saying, where the letter begins is, Philemon, you get it. That ultimately the way the church is the church is when all of us 
kind of carry the part we're called to. We all have a huge part of being partners. It's something we own. It's not something we kind of sign up and just attend periodically. We live into it. And that's where we began. And it sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, the idea that there's ownership and he's basically cheering him on. He says, you've refreshed everyone around you. You've learned to love all those around you really profoundly. And we actually have this little phrase we use around here. It's just like a a nice thing to remind us of who we are. It's not our mission or vision, just kind of a tagline. And we say it this way. We say together because life is messy. And it sounds awesome. I've never, and whenever I hear people say it, like, hey, we're together because life is messy. It sounds great, doesn't it? But it lives hard. Amen? I mean, we love it. Hey, I'm a mess. You're a mess. Until your mess crosses my mess, offends my mess, or irritates my mess, and then I'm not so happy with your mess. And so I want to be clear because where he's going to go in the letter, he's just cheered Philemon on. You are a partner. You own this thing. We're the church together. We are brothers in this thing. And then he's going to say, now we're going to kind of increase the temperature and talk about how we're to live. And ultimately, I'd say he's saying we're going to live together in the mess of this. And so what I want to encourage as we look at how this unfolds in the letter is that you're going to be invited to participate in something that in the natural, in our own humanity, we won't be able to do. Okay? What I'm saying to you is it will sound great and it will feel hard and messy, but there's a beautiful invitation in it. I'm asking you to receive it that way. So we're going to take after this and we're going to agree that in our natural, we love your mess as it keeps a distance and doesn't affect me. And that you don't dare say my mess affects you because mine is understandable. That's where we start. Okay, that's where we actually are if we're honest. All right, here the letter continues. He's just told them how great he is and what a partner he is. And now he's going to say, listen, therefore, so I do want to be clear. He's told them all these great things. I was like, here comes the hammer. I'm going to give you a new depth. I'm going to take it to a different level. Although in Christ, I could be bold in order for you to do whatever you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ. Now, I want to stop and have us consider just this part so far, because before we hear what he says, he's setting a context for it. And he's saying, listen, in Christ, I have authority over you, and I can tell you what you ought to do. Now, how many of you like it when someone tells you what you ought to do? Yeah, I didn't think so. Some of us, because we're in West Michigan, we smile and say, sure, and then we just do what we want. Others of us are actually irritated, and we'll express that. Some of us, even if it's a good thing, we're like, you told me what to do. Now I don't want to do it. So, so I want to be clear, because I think often when we read Scripture, we read it as if it's a demand and kind of an obligation. Oh, I'm reading Scripture, and what it's telling me is I don't do well enough, I need to do better. Like, that's how we always, most of us read it that way. And I love this because Paul, while he does have authority, and that's a whole other issue for another time, is how we tend to buck authority. Which, well, I'm going to say this just because I feel like it. It always cracks me up because the authority we like now are authorities we agree with. And it's been crazy over recent years to watch people, how they want to listen to one authority, and the authority they don't want to hear is the church. And I just laugh like, okay, well, that makes sense. So I just thought I'd tell you that for no extra charge. All right, back to what matters. Paul implores them and implores Philemon on love. Like, you want to know, I'm, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, even that, I think, gets confusing for us 
Because we tend to view God's love or God's calling as you're supposed to want to do this, so just act like it even if you don't want to. That's love. And I don't think that's true. I think Paul is appealing to him because Paul has encountered a love that's unexplainable and inspiring. And he believes Philemon has had a test of that, a taste of it. And he's saying, I think you can have more. Uh, let me say it this way. When you see something in a way someone lives that's unexplainable and incredibly loving, are you inspired by it? Oh, yeah. When you see someone demand and fight and say it has to be this way, are you inspired by that? No. See, that's the beauty of Jesus. He has authority, but he says to you it's an invitation, not a demand. So, so let me just say this, because where we're going to go, I think will be hard for all of us, but I think it'll be powerful. Let's just agree that our tendency, like we have this whole thing about truth, and even when we hear love, well, it's loving when I'm truthful, and that's code for I can tell you what I want and offend you too bad. Or we have love that's I'm going to be loving, but it means I can't ever challenge anything. And in case you don't realize this, they're just two sides of the same coin. They're neither are loving. A truth teller without love is exactly that. They justify. Someone often who gives in to anything is really loving because, quite honestly, they want others to think well of them. So let me be clear. We can err on either side. And what Paul's inviting him to is a different kind of love, a love that's inspiring, that doesn't make sense, that actually enjoys being given. And so I will, at least for me, I have to just confess most of the time, this sounds great, I don't feel this way. This sounds great, I wish I knew it. But I am finding increasingly God meets me in that and I think is helping change, I hope, and I, I would ask that for you. Like one of my regular prayers, and I think I shared this before, but I, I pray literally the great commandments over us all that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And then I pray, God... I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me with the love the Father has for Jesus because the love the Father has for Jesus is pure love for God. That's how I get that. I then pray that the love Jesus has for people fills me, that I will love people like he does because I don't have that either. Like I need to even pray that God will make me loving both to him and to people. Can we agree that we need that too? Can we agree that what Paul's appealing to we don't do in the natural and I love this because he doesn't, he actually goes, I'm not going to use authority. And by the way, I'm a weak old man and I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm appealing to you out of weakness and my servitude. I'm not appealing to you out of strength and my self-sufficiency. I love that. Like I can relate to that because I have neither. And I just think it's a beautiful place for us to begin. It's a beautiful place for us to consider. He's going to say we're going to do this together and it's going to be messy, but let me remind you, it's going to be out of love and God's going to have to change us. And he continues. Now I'm going to appeal to you. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, some of you, it, it tells it later in the story, and those of you who've been around the scriptures for any length of time may know more about this, but let me just say it this way. Let me start with this. Onesimus itself, the meaning of this word is useful. That's why he uses it. Uh, which, by the way, does anybody read it and just want to say onesimus? Thank you. This is a little tip for you, too. All the time we see these words, it scares us. Just say it boldly. If you say it wrong, who cares? Just tell them, no, that's a different Greek translation. You just didn't know it. That's what I did. 
Now, so he's telling us about this slave, and we're going to come back to the meaning of that because this is what this means. I'll come back to it because he's also, but he says he's his son. This is where I want to stop first. Paul is saying this young man is my spiritual son. You know why he's saying that? Because Paul himself helped Onesimus discover Jesus and become following and filled and living differently. By the way, Paul also calls Philemon his son. You see, Paul is a spiritual father, not just a guy who helped lead someone to Christ as a convert. And I I think we lose sight of this in one way, which is we think we just get people around the church and someone, maybe a pastor, will help them respond to Jesus and they're converted. And we have no relational tie to it and no thought that we're part of it. Now, I want you to hear it this way. Paul is a spiritual father. He's not just Onesimus. He actually is to Philemon. And Philemon becomes a spiritual father and a spiritual brother to those around him. Do you realize it's normative in our faith? Remember the letters to Philemon, but it's to all of us. You are to be spiritual sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Did you know the way God changes the world is through your relationships in a new family? not through professional teaching or even ordained teaching or any of that. It's because we are infused with the Spirit and we are part of it. I want you to, that's contradictory to how we live. Like that's a pretty big deal when he calls him a spiritual son and he's saying he became my son when I was in change. So somehow they connected. Now I want to go to the next part of this, which is that he is a slave too and why we know that. Onesimus is literally a common name for any slave because it means useful. That's what it means and what were slaves to be. They were to be useful. Slaves were also the lowest rung in Roman culture. You go from the emperor to the governors to those in high positions to people who were born into Roman culture to people who could buy it to slaves. That's the lowest culture he was. And so we know something else from this, which is that he was useless to you, Philemon. Now we'll see it a little later, but what that means is he was actually Philemon's slave. Now, if he's useless, why do you think that would be? Because he was a bad slave or he did something wrong. That's what it means. Like, basically, he did something that was very offensive and painful and betraying on some level to Philemon. Maybe he mismanaged resources. Maybe he stole from him. Maybe he was high-ranking in the servitude of his family and oversaw lots of things and did poorly. Maybe it was daily mundane tests and he was low in there, but whatever it was, he has left Philemon in a bad place and ran away, which, by the way, is also a huge problem in Roman culture and worthy of death. Now, all we know about him is that he was somehow became a slave. We don't know if he was born into it. We don't know if he was purchased somewhere into it, or if even he was a spoil of war, that Philemon won some victory or the area he did, and they took this young man. All we know is he was useless to him. And what we know that means is what he's saying to Philemon, very simply is, guess what? I want to talk to you about Onesimus, who betrayed you, who stole from you, and left you in a mess. You do realize that's a pretty big ask right now. I mean, you have a broken relationship, He ran from the whole culture and system. He's probably in big trouble. He might be a betrayer. We don't know what the problem is, but we know he's about to ask him to do something with him that will be a big ask. Do you get it now? Now just stop for a minute and think about broken relationships in your own life. 
Th they could be betrayals. They could be things that have caused you economic distress. They could be family members. I mean, it, it amazes me how we break in relationships over something that happens. I've literally, in being here 24 years, I can even picture people who sat here and they had a break in their family and one sat there or they went to a different service or they stopped going and they had to go somewhere else. People who I would find out were related and I didn't know and they hadn't talked in 15 years. I've watched conflicts happen at work where relationships have been broken. I've watched conflicts in families where parents and children don't talk anymore. We can all bring out, and let's be honest, everybody's deciding who they're not a part of these days, aren't they? It's kind of countercultural to stay with anybody because we all find something crazy and messed up, don't we? I want you to consider it as we're going to go to this because he's saying something great can happen and I'm putting Onesimus on the table for this thing, and now he's going to take it to the big ask. Hey, I'm sending him. I'm sending him who's my very heart back to you. That should scare everyone, right? I would have to like to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me. In other words, this is something Philemon did, and now Onesimus is with him while I'm in chains for the gospel. Now, I, wanna, I do want to be clear on something and this is not a commentary either way about slavery, though we're really clear how horrible this is. Paul is a Jew. In Deuteronomy, it tells us that if a slave runs away and he goes to another city, you're to let them stay there and live there. In other words, if they get away, don't ever make them go back. So I want to be clear. Paul is not sending him back for some, like it's an ethical thing I need to send him back for. What it means is he's sending him back for a different reason. He's sending him back out of relationship in a way that makes no sense. He's sending him back and he's asking something different of Philemon simply than a legal change, though that will be part of this. I mean, when he describes what he's had with Onesimus, he says, man, this is someone close to my heart. This is someone who's helping me. And he's comparing his own servitude and slavery. I'm in chains for the gospel and he's inviting him to do something crazy. Can you imagine everything in Roman culture if Onesimus comes back, says, you take him back and you bring him down. And he's about to ask him to do something that makes no sense. And you have to remember the culture, this is from Aristotle, but he would say, and this is the common culture in Rome, some people are made to be lifeless and others are made to be living. In other words, slaves and servants were made to serve the people that actually mattered. What he's about to ask him to do will violate cultural standing, political standing, family standing, social standing. I mean, think about it in our own lives, because we have all those things, don't we? We view each other as greater than or less than academic standing, wealth standing, success standing. He's saying we have a new kind of family that I'm inviting you to participate in and live differently in. But it's going to require a huge loss for you and a huge change in your thinking. You are to see him differently than you ever did. You're to see him differently than anything around you says to. And I want to be clear, we have our own sets of those things, right? Like we know that we, we judge each other. We judge all sorts of things in people based on what we think of them, higher or lower. I'm curious how many of you have seen signs in yards and thought, oh, I used to like them. I'm not going to enjoy talking to them anymore. I mean, I'm, I, it's crazy the judgment that goes back and forth. We oversimplify anybody and what they think. 
I can tell you just watching, growing up myself and then watching my own kids grow up, the way different cities treat each other when they play each other, I've heard, I've literally heard student sections, and I'm ashamed, heard parents yell back and forth, like one will yell to the other one how better they are at sports, and the other will yell back SAT scores. One will yell mocking this one for what losers they are, the other will yell back that they're going to be pumping gas for this group. I mean, I want to be clear, we do this to each other. I still, now you guys didn't grow up in, well, maybe some of you did, I grew up in the middle of the state. I grew up in a little uh, suburb called Okemos. When I say that, if anybody lives there, you know what they do? Oh. Like, they just look at me like, you arrogant piece of joy. <laughs> because let's be honest, we live in a whole system that says greater than, less than, greater than, less than. And if you live in a way that you somehow think you're greater than, you've got one set of problems. If you live in a place that you think you're less than, you have a whole other set of problems. But what Paul's inviting him is he's taking this mess and going, I'm going to invite you to live in a different way because if God's going to build a new kind of family and a new kind of way, if we're going to live together because life is messy, this is how it's going to happen. You are going to see people differently because God sees them differently. That's what he's inviting in this. And he's imploring them out of his own disparity to start it. Now, I want to give you a picture of what this might look like, hoping it'll help us before I kind of will get the, what he's giving pictures of related to it because the simple invitation is, I'm going to take someone that you're broken with that you don't think you can relate to, that you view less than, that's even harmed you and betrayed you and hurt you, but has also been treated inhumanely and horribly, and you're going to treat them differently. You're going to live in a new way. So I want to do this. I want to take you back. This is to a time in Dublin, Ireland. This is actually a picture of just a small portion of St. Patrick's Cathedral. And it's some centuries ago that something took place here which is fascinating, but I think it might help us understand this new kind of relating. So there were two families in particular, the Butlers and the Fitzgerald, and both the families were vying for this very significant role as a lord, a deputy lord in the area of Ireland. What it led to is incredible fracture and breaking of relationship and literally fighting and hostility between the two families because they were fighting to see who would be greater than and who would not, who would have favor and who would not. And it was this constant battle. It escalated to the point where the Butler family was so fearful of their lives in the midst of the fight, they ran to literally this place and they hid inside the cathedral and kept the doors closed. And in this moment, at least the head of the Fitzgerald family, Gerald, or as I like to call him, Jerry, but they didn't do that probably back then, said, okay, I, this has to change. Something's wrong. Somehow his heart opened up and he began to see differently, like, wait a minute, we're not seeing each other the way we're supposed to. We are somehow drawing lines and hating and judging and fighting for something we shouldn't. So he began to try to get them to come out to ensure them this is what they wanted, and they wouldn't. Now at this time then, something happened. This man told the family, cut a hole in the door like this. Now, this is literally the door, by the way. It's still there. And then what he did is he walked up to the door and he put his arm through. He just stood there with his arm through and called out. Now you realize how vulnerable that is, don't you? He put his arm through and took a chance they'd cut it off because that's what you could do. They could literally just take him out. But somehow that act of vulnerability, that act of reaching out through the door that they had helped cut caused someone in the butler family, probably the head of the family, to open the door. 
And these two men embraced and these two families experienced a healing that was unexplainable. That is a kingdom transformation. We have an idiom actually that's used. It's called to chance your arm. We probably don't use it around here, but it's used globally, especially it's used in Europe. You'd say, oh, you're gonna, you got something broken, you wanna take a risk, you, to chance, ch- chance your arm. Chance your arm, take a step out in a way you never have. And this is the part I want us to understand. I think Paul is literally writing to Philemon going, chance your arm, put your arm out. You've got all these things to lose, just put it out. Can you imagine what would happen in Onesimus' life, in the life of our church, in our community, when they see a slave that has run away and has harmed your economic life and has harmed your family and has harmed your name, and you're not only welcoming him back, you're welcoming him back differently. You know that's unexplainable, right? By the way, can you see how that's inspiring? Can you see how a church community view of people like this doing this and living this way could actually change the world? Now, it's from here. I wanted you to get the picture. I want you to hear how he kind of encourages this now that he's made the ask. Because what he says afterwards are just some really beautiful things to reinforce what he wants him to do. He says, listen, I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced well, what would be voluntary? You see, I think it's an invitation, not a demand. And I think, unfortunately, we hear thoughts like this. We go, you better go make this right. You better go do the right thing. And what that leads to is a bitter or kind of oppressed way we do things, hoping, oh, I got to do the right thing, even though I don't want to. And I love Paul's heart in this. Because where we have to start is, If God's giving you an invitation, how many of us need our heart to move that we'd actually want to go or take the risk? I know I would. And the greater the cost, the greater the risk. It's an invitation. It's not a demand. I absolutely love this about who Jesus is and who his church is and who we're to be that bring the kingdom. The kingdom will never move by demand and might and power. It will move by invitation by vulnerable surrender, and by sacrifice. By people that chance the arm. I'm going to reach out, and this could cause me a lot of pain. But man, that's who Jesus is. This is how the world changes. It doesn't change because I said the right things and I fought for the right things. It says because I lived the loving way and I sacrificed vulnerably and I was changed to live in love differently than I could ever do on my own. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? You want to know why the church grew so fast and grew all over Asia Minor? Because people live like this. Maybe the next thing, because he just keeps saying things that are so powerful. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Now, we could read this as if to say God ordained this so that it would happen. That's not what he means here. And I'll just take a side note to say, because I've even heard this, because in our culture, in our world, we talk a lot about the horrors of what slavery was, and the scriptures are very clear on the horrors of that too. But I'll hear people say, well, God ordained this so this group of people would know him. That is a horrible theology. And it's usually said by people that don't go through it. Let's just agree when people are oppressed and they suffer, it breaks the heart of God. 
So I don't want to mistake it. I don't, it's not what he's saying here, but people can interpret it that way. Here's what he's saying. Maybe you're separated for a little while. A little while is temporary. He's saying in your temporal, normal life, you were separated because that's what happens. Things break down, don't they? But guess what? God wants to bring you back together forever because the kingdom changes relationships. The kingdom of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the love of Jesus creates in people a desire to put their arm out and a chance to harm, to live in a way that does not make sense. And I know that is not something I can do, but I know that when God's changing my heart and life, I want to do. And I'm moved every time I see it, hear it, live it, and experience it. And he's saying, you gotta have an eternal mindset. You gotta realize we're people of the kingdom, not people of here now. That's simply what he's cheering on. And let me give you the final piece, which is, I think, the beautiful exclamation. He's no longer seen as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. What a crazy thing. Not only was he a slave, which put him down, he was a bad slave. Let's be honest, he caused trouble. Now, maybe he was oppressed, and that's why, but he leaves and it's broken. He's saying, listen, you put your arm out. You live this differently. You're going to see him as a brother, which, by the way, is how the church is to see people. You want to know how Rome got unraveled as a culture? It got unraveled because people started loving each other outside of the stratas of what they thought they were supposed to. Poor people took communion with rich people. Rich people took communion after poor people. Poor people got to speak. They didn't get to speak when rich people spoke. They had to wait on those things. People loved and lived differently and shared their resources because the kingdom lives differently. And let's agree, we cannot do that on our own. But when God does it, do you not think the world will be changed? We know it will. I don't want one story of chance in the arm. I want a people that live chance in the arm. Day after day, moment after moment, story after story that we live and love differently because basically Paul's saying to Philemon, God's establishing his kingdom in a new way with a new kind of family. I want you to be part of it. And it's going to feel weird and awkward to do it. But man, when you step it out, and I love it because he's giving testimony. I've seen Onimus' life change. Man, you got to see this brother and see how he's different in, in Jesus. Chance the arm. Take a step out. Let me give you a few thoughts on how at least God might be moving in this, and then we'll pray. I love the idea of just saying, how are you taking a risk? What are you going to be vulnerable with? Chance your arm. And I'll say it this way. Some of you literally do need to take a risk. The person that took the risk in the story was the one that had nothing to lose. They're the one that we might have felt had the upper hand. And really, I think, Paul saying to Philemon, chance the arm. You're the one that needs to reach out. Onesimus is behind the door and is scared to death. Do you have a relationship where it's broken? And maybe God's saying, take a risk and step out. Do you have people that think differently than you? And you've kind of said all is bad and you don't know them enough. And you rule down and you're like, chance the arm and step out and get to know them better. We say this over and over again. You realize we're all crazy, right? Like we all have things we think and you're like, man, I thought I knew them and I thought I loved them. I didn't know they knew that. It's all null and void. That's how we do it. And let me just be clear. We are all complex people 
And there are beautiful, image-bearing, redemptive things in every person. And by the way, some of the things we judge them on, we probably are wrong about, which is one of the most dangerous parts of it. Take a risk. Start moving towards people you normally wouldn't. Move towards a place where it's broken. You may even have a relationship that comes to mind. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, taking risks doesn't mean you step out and go, hey, I just want you to know I forgive you for all the horrible things you did. (laughs) That is just judgment, in case you don't know. I love how we couch forgiveness and judgment. You know, I'm going to forgive you for the 18 ways you hurt me, being the good man that I am. Does that make you want to come and hang out with me? No. And did they ask for it? No. I'm asking you to move towards them, not to self-righteous them down. For some of you, I think you've been beaten down. I think you think you're one of the less thans. I think somehow you hide. And I go, it's time to trust the invitation. It's the invitation from Jesus directly. It's the invitation from his people to move towards him and move towards them and know that you are of infinite value. And man, God doesn't see you as less than. He loves you the same and beautifully personally as everyone. And the invitation is what you have to move towards. And maybe some of you have been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by your family. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Just realize we're broken people and your family's broken too. You can tell them I said that. It's okay. What I mean is don't let that keep you from moving towards invitation. Because we'll mess up and hurt each other. But I'm telling you, we will continually move towards restoring that and living it. And you've got to take a step to trust the invitation. And then we should give this final thing, which is that it's our overall invitation to become a new kind of family. Now, it breaks my heart that many of us, we see the church as kind of something we attend. It's a good part of our life on the side, but our life is out here. And the church is the community that's supposed to be the new family that changes the world by how we treat, love, and live together. And and I'll say it again. We love this together because life is messy until it's messy for us. And if you want to become this family, there is an invitation for you to chance the arm, to pursue Jesus and actually become spiritual sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. You don't have to be some trained seminarian to do those things. In fact, some of us are really messed up in hindering that. You need to be people who follow Jesus and impact other lives by how you do it. See, Philemon is not a a unique case. He's a example for all of us. And the beautiful joy is let's take some risks. Let's love differently. Let's be honest that we need to be transformed. And with that, let me pray for us together. God, I asked at the beginning that if anything's not for me, it'd fall to the ground and be forgotten, but I also asked that you'd move. So wherever you're moving, uh, make it clear to people. I pray for any among us who have felt too worthless or unworthy to even know your love, that they would respond to you. And even if that's you today, just to say to Jesus, I want to know your love and forgiveness and ask for it. Forgive me and let me be your son or daughter. And then Lord, I pray for those of us who need to step out and take risks. Would you show us the risks we're to step out? Would you show us the people we're to move towards that we tend to go, no way, couldn't be, it won't do it. And let us discover who you are differently through them and loving them. And then for those of us, Lord, who feel beaten down and broken and scared to trust, would you help those see who might be trustworthy and make a move in the right direction? 
and help us to be people that bless, encourage, and meet each other in that brokenness. I pray this in your name. Amen. We always try to give space to simply worship for a little bit and receive communion, which is the foundational activity of the church. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to sing and we'll celebrate communion. And you're really asking God to meet you either in what he said or what he wants to say now as we worship. I've heard the accusation and I've heard the propaganda. I've heard the lies they whispered to my soul That I have been forsaken and I'll always be forgotten No matter what I do, it's not enough But then I heard a voice as it opened up the heavens Reminding me of who I've always been Cause I am your beloved You have bought me with your blood And on your head You've written out my name I am your beloved One the Father loves Mercy has defeated all my shame me most. <laughs> I, I don't think we believe that easily. At least it's, it's easy for me to think how oh, God could be, he must be just so disgusted by. And it's not how he is. Like he looks at the worst parts of us and the broken parts of us. And that's the very activity he came to do was to die for that and love us in that. I mean, what a crazy thing not to sit and kind of constantly badger us, but to go, I actually want to transform that in you. Like that's what we celebrate at communion is how everyone's equal at the cross. When we feel so unworthy, God goes, oh no, you're of infinite value. When we think we're better than, God goes, well, everyone's of infinite value. Like it's a beautiful place to be, isn't it? And that's what communion is. I want to be clear. We don't have any rules or stipulations that you have to be a member here what we say is we want you to be pursuing Jesus. So we don't want it to be a meaningless religious routine that you think you have to do. 
but if you want to pursue him, if you want to know him, this is a regular way that we sacredly respond to what he's done for us. And we receive, that's what this is. So you'll see if you've got the cups when you came in, the top layer is the bread and the bottom is the cup itself. They have them every week. If you didn't get it today, you can next time. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, do you wanna know how much I love you? This is my body and it's given for you. In the flesh, we receive. In the same way Jesus took the cup, he said, this is a new covenant. Something new is happening. And it's through my blood, through my forgiveness that you have salvation and life that you become sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and literally fathers and mothers. We receive that. So Lord, I ask this would not just be a religious routine, but something sacred would happen. Whether we feel it or not, you would pour out grace. God, let us know how much you know and love each one here and invite us to be yours. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand as we close out our time singing to the Lord. The one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. There is nothing I have done that could change the Father's love. Oh, the one who knows me best is the one who loves me most. There is nothing I have done that could change my father. There's love. Come on, declare this over your life. Oh, the one who knows me best. He's the one. He's the one who loves me most. Because there is nothing. There is nothing I have done that could change my fire. refers to himself as both a servant and a slave to the Lord and literally does live in prison at different times. But not only is it physical, it's metaphoric that he gets that God loves him and he's the Lord's. That everything else is not truly who he is. 
They go, man, for us to get that, that we're his, we're sons and we're his daughters, and to live out of that, we will be able to love people differently and to reconcile and to be something unexplainable as long as he's the one driving and filling and moving and we're dependent on that. Maybe place your hands out and just give you a simple blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with his spirit. Oh, may you know that you are his cherished son or daughter. And may you begin to see others with his eyes. May you step out in risk and move towards others that you would not normally. And may others move towards you that we would live and love differently. And as he changes us, he'll change the world around us for his glory, our joy, and the love for others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.